Welcome to Defiant Health Radio, a place where you can count on hearing about the truth in health, uncolored by interests of big pharma, the generally misplaced motivations of healthcare and doctors, just ideas and strategies that work safely, effectively, and inexpensively. I'm your host, Dr. William Davis, cardiologist and author of the Wheat Belly and Undoctored Books, and now my newest book, Super Gut, a four-week plan to reprogram your microbiome, restore health, and lose weight. In Supergut, I discussed two major topics. One, we have lost microbes that performed important functions for our health. And two, in their place, unhealthy, mostly stool microbes have proliferated. I therefore show you how to correct these situations, including how to cultivate specific bacterial species, such as my favorite, Lactobacillus rotari, that, when replaced, achieves extraordinary benefits that includes having increased empathy for other people, being able to understand another person's point of view better. Ladies love it because it smooths skin wrinkles, also deepens sleep and restores youthful muscle and strength. That's just one microbe. I show you how to restore this and other microbes lost from the human microbiome to yield other benefits such as shrinking your waist circumference, reducing arthritis pain, accelerating recovery from strenuous work or exercise, improving the health of your baby and children. I also detail how you can take steps to push back the overgrowth of unhealthy bacteria using various easy-to-put-to-use strategies. No book before Supergut has provided the detail on practical, actionable strategies that you can put to work to obtain the results you desire. You'll find Supergut just about anywhere they sell books. I call this episode of Defiant Health Vitamin D, Get It Right for Full Benefit. Because even though I've talked about the importance of vitamin D for well over a decade, I continue to see people either remaining unaware of its full benefits, which are can be spectacular, or being given flawed advice by their doctors, like you don't need it, or you get enough from diet, or just get some sun, all of which is wrong. Yet getting it right can be so powerful for so many facets of health. So let's go over the basics on how to get your vitamin D just right. Later in the podcast, let's talk about Defiant Health's sponsor, Paleo Valley. Their fermented grass-fed beef sticks, bone broth protein rich in collagen, organic super greens, and low-carb superfood bars have among the cleanest ingredient lists in the industry. And of course, they're delicious. Welcome, everybody. You know, I've been talking about vitamin D for many years, and I've been so impressed at the many benefits it provides to people. And yet, I still see people saying, oh, I don't want to bother with vitamin D, or it's overhyped, or it can't possibly do very much for us. And I even see people being discouraged by their doctors from taking it or taking a dose that's appropriate. So it really helps to understand why we supplement vitamin D, what it does in the human body, and how to get it just right. Because I can tell you, having done this many thousands of times, that getting vitamin D right yields really substantial health benefits. Among the effects of vitamin D that I've witnessed over the years and that is validated in clinical studies is Bringing vitamin D into a healthy range improves your metabolic health. And you'll see this play out as a reduction in blood sugar, blood glucose, an increase in your sensitivity to insulin and thereby a reduction in insulin resistance. Recall that insulin resistance 
is a very common process that affects two-thirds of Americans now, even teenagers and even children. And that's the process that leads to high blood pressure, fatty liver, high triglycerides, heart disease, coronary disease, and even raises your likelihood of having Alzheimer's dementia and even several forms of cancer. So reversing insulin resistance with vitamin D, at least partially, makes a contribution to doing so, really helps. It really helps reverse or reduce seasonal blues. I personally had that phenomenon for many years when it got dark in the wintertime and I was taking a shower, getting ready to go to the hospital at five o'clock in the morning. It was pitch dark out. I felt this weight on my shoulders. As soon as I began vitamin D, within just a few days, I felt this very palpable lifting of that dark feeling. And in the many years since I've been on vitamin D at a healthy level, I find the weather and the short days don't bother me at all. I love the sun, but it doesn't bother me. I don't feel oppression. I don't feel dark moods anymore from the short days. And that all happened with vitamin D. Vitamin D plays a major role in calcium metabolism. So one of the effects of lacking vitamin D is that the parathyroid glands, these are little glands next to the thyroid, parathyroid, respond by overproducing parathyroid hormone, and that leaches calcium out of your bones to maintain blood levels of calcium, which are very important. So the lower your vitamin D, the more the parathyroid glands compensate by pulling calcium out of your bones. So getting vitamin D to a healthy level reduces parathyroid hormone and reduces the parathyroid hormone's effect of extracting calcium from your bones. Vitamin D has anti-cancer effects. So this is observational epidemiologic information. Now, those of you who've been following my conversations already know that observational epidemiologic evidence cannot establish cause and effect relationships, but this is an impossible study to perform. Imagine I said to you, I want to put you in a study. I'm going to give you some pills and I won't tell you whether there's vitamin D in them or not, just a placebo. And we're going to watch you for, say, 10 years and see if you get cancer. And then we determine, we compare the groups, vitamin D versus placebo, and see who has more, who has more cancer. Obviously, nobody would participate in that study, and it's unethical. So we do have to rely on the best we have, which is observational evidence. That is observing what happens to people who have varying levels of vitamin D in their bloodstream. And the evidence is pretty strong that people with lower levels of vitamin D in their bloodstream have greater risk for multiple forms of cancer, including colon cancer, breast cancer, prostate cancer, and some others. Vitamin D plays a major role in the immune response and protects you from autoimmune diseases. So there's very good evidence, for instance, that type 1 diabetes in children is much less likely, dramatically less likely, in children who get vitamin D. But think of vitamin D deficiency not as a causative factor in autoimmune diseases like Hashimoto's thyroiditis or lupus. Think of vitamin D deficiency as a permissive factor. That is, it allows some other initiating event, such as the gliadin protein of wheat or metabolic endotoxemia, from SIBO, from small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, a situation in which all 30 feet of your GI tract is colonized by unhealthy microbes that live and die rapidly, and their breakdown products, some of the breakdown products, enter the bloodstream. That's called endotoxemia, but that is associated with an increase in autoimmune diseases, which become more likely when you're deficient in vitamin D. 
One of my experiences that was very instructive was years ago when I tried to help people deal with their coronary calcium scores that were obtained through CT heart scans. So those of you who are not familiar with what what I'm talking about, the only real confident way to screen somebody for the presence of hidden coronary disease, coronary atherosclerosis, that's the stuff that leads to heart attacks, sudden cardiac death. It's the stuff that gets bypassed or stented when there's blockage. Well, back then, 25 years ago, when somebody had a positive coronary calcium score, let's say 500, normal is zero, no plaque, no calcium. Well, let's say this person had a fairly high score of 500 and somebody in their early 50s, that carries a lot of risk, carries as much as a 5 to 10% per year risk of heart attack or thereabouts. Well, if you did nothing for that score of 500, it would increase by 25% per year. So a year later, 625, a year later, 700 something. And every time it gets goes higher, you're closer and closer to a heart attack, sudden cardiac death, or developing symptoms that necessitate stent implantation or bypass operation. Well, what if we put you on a baby aspirin, a high dose of a statin cholesterol drug, a low-fat diet, and an exercise program? How effective is that? Will it slow down the increase in your coronary calcium score and thereby the growth of atherosclerotic plaque in your coronary arteries? No. We help publish those data. There is no impact at all. It does not slow the progression. Well, I was in Milwaukee. I had set up Milwaukee Heart Scan this many years ago, and we have thousands of people essentially freaking out, right, because they can't put a stop to the rise in score. Unfortunately, many of my unscrupulous colleagues took advantage of this and put many people through unnecessary heart catheterizations, stent implantations, and bypass surgery when it was not necessary. Sad to say, this is not uncommon, and it goes on even today. But I want to give people better tools to deal with this relentless increase in coronary calcium scores and thereby cardiovascular risk. Well, it took some zigzagging, some trial and error, but one lesson I did learn was when we added vitamin D and tried to obtain our target level, which was 60 to 70 nanograms per milliliter, it was the first time I saw not just slowing of that rise in coronary calcium score. I actually saw many, many people drop their score. I saw scores of 750, for instance, drop to 325 or something like that. And this continued for many years. The score doesn't drop back to zero, but it just stops growing often at a much lower value. And when that happens, we know that risk for cardiovascular events like heart attacks is virtually zero. So why do people develop vitamin D deficiency? Well, there's a long list of reasons. One reason is that while you can get a little bit from diet, most of us don't eat the foods that provide vitamin D, like liver and some to some degree other organs. People say eat mushrooms, but that is vitamin D2. The human form of vitamin D is D3. They're different. They, vitamin D is much shorter acting. It doesn't bind to the vitamin D receptor quite as well. You want vitamin D3. So there's very little D3 in diet, a little bit in liver, a little bit in egg yolks, and a few other foods. But it's really not possible to get a truly healthy level of vitamin D through the diet. We're supposed to get vitamin D from sun exposure over a large surface area of exposed skin. Well, you can see the problem here. One, most of us live largely indoor lives. Some of us live in northern climates where even in the summertime, the sun might not be strong enough sometimes to activate vitamin D in the skin. We wear clothes in public, right? Clothes that cover 
much of the body's surface area and thereby blocking the activation of vitamin D in the skin. And as we age, particularly over age 40, we progressively lose the skin's ability to activate vitamin D upon sun exposure. I saw this numerous times play out. You know, I'm in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, where we have cold winters, prolonged cold winters. So we had a lot of snowbirds, people who would spend their winters in Florida or some other tropical or subtropical climate. And I'd have people come back from the winter in the springtime. And I'd say, okay, let's check your vitamin D level. And they said, no, no need, doc. Look at my tan lines. And they'd have dark leather brown tans and they'd be severely deficient, consistent with the studies that showed that we lose the capacity to activate vitamin D in the skin as we age. So for this reason, it became clear that we need to supplement vitamin D. It's a rare person who achieves an optimal level of vitamin D in the bloodstream without supplementing vitamin D in most climates. Now, some people say, well, I live in Hawaii, or I live in Arizona, or some very sunny, warm climate. Shockingly, the great majority of people, depending on how we define deficiency by blood levels, but the studies that have looked at this, even using lax criteria, the majority of people in tropical climates are deficient, remain deficient for all the reasons I cited, staying indoors, wearing clothes, getting older, etc. So it truly is a rare person who does not need to supplement vitamin D for full benefit. Now, what constitutes a healthy or optimal level of vitamin D? Now, what I'm going to tell you is going to be very different from what your doctor likely tells you or what the laboratory slip says or laboratory result says. Here's a problem when you come to laboratories telling you what is normal or what they call the reference range. The way they derive a reference range for like vitamin D is they'll take maybe 100 people, take their blood for and measure vitamin D in the bloodstream. And then say something like this, the reference range, that is the presumptive normal level, is 20 nanograms per milliliter of 25-hydroxy vitamin D. That's the test we used to gauge vitamin D status, is 20 plus or minus two standard deviations. So they might quote something like this, the reference range is 10 to 30 nanograms per milliliter. Now, the problem with this is they the 100 people or 500 people, whatever number of people they tested, all were vitamin D deficient. So imagine we looked at weight. Let's go to the mall. You and me, we're going to go to the mall with, equipped with a scale. And you ask this question, what is the average weight of a female in the U.S.? Okay, so a, a thousand women walk by, we ask them politely if we can take their weight. We do so, we do a thousand, weigh a thousand ladies. And after that, we do some simple calculations, and our conclusion is the average American woman weighs 176 pounds, plus or minus two standard deviations, 25 pounds. Now, does that sound right? In other words, they're, what they're reporting is an average in an unhealthy population. They're not reporting the ideal or optimal level. So let's ask a different question with vitamin D. Let's ask, what is the optimal level? The Defiant Health Podcast is sponsored by Paleo Valley, makers of delicious grass-fed beef sticks, healthy snack bars, and other terrific products. We are very picky around here and insist that any product we consider has no junk ingredients like maltodextrin, carrageenan, carboxymethylcellulose, sucralose, and of course, no added sugars. And all Paleo Valley products contain no gluten nor grains. 
In fact, I find Paleo Valley products among the cleanest of any in their category, and they're truly delicious. One of the habits I urge everyone to get into is to include a fermented food product at least once, if not several times per day in their lifestyles. Unlike nearly all other beef sticks available, the Paleo Valley grass-fed beef sticks are all naturally fermented, meaning they contain probiotic bacterial species. And if like most people, you don't have the time to make batches of bone broths or soups every week or every day, Paleo Valley has an excellent grass-fed bone broth protein powder that packs 15 grams of collagen per scoop for skin and joint health while providing the health benefits of bone broth. Shipping is free for orders of $75 or more. For more information or to order, go to paleovalley.com. That's P-A-L-E-O-V-A-L-L-E-Y.com. Enter the discount code DEFIANT, not case sensitive, for a 15% discount to Defiant Health listeners. The web address is also listed in the Defiant Health show notes that accompany this podcast. And be sure to take a look at their other products, such as their organic super greens, rich with phytonutrients, and their super food bars that come in dark chocolate chip, apple cinnamon, and lemon meringue. They're low carb, of course, with 8 grams net carbs per bar. Well, there are several ways to try to decipher what the optimal level of vitamin D is that is gauged by the blood test we do to gauge vitamin D D status, 25-hydroxyvitamin D. One perspective would be to ask, at what level of 25-hydroxyvitamin D does the risk of cancer appear to drop off sharply? Well, that tends to occur around 50 nanograms per milliliter or so. Another perspective is to ask, at what level of 25-hydroxyvitamin D is parathyroid hormone, PTH, maximally suppressed that keeps it from pulling calcium out of your bones? Well, that tends to occur as the 25-hydroxyvitamin D blood level approaches 60 nanograms per milliliter. For these and other reasons, I've therefore aimed over the years to achieve a 25-hydroxy vitamin D blood level of between 60 and 70 nanograms per milliliter. And that's kind of a rough range. If you're 73, you're fine. If you're 59, you're pretty close. That's pretty good. Now, where does vitamin D toxicity occur? Well, that's not entirely clear because you can imagine it's a tough clinical trial to perform. If I said to you, I'm going to give you some capsules, I'm not going to tell you how much vitamin D is in there, and we're going to see if you become toxic and something bad happens to you. Well, nobody will do that trial, and likewise, as in cancer, it's unethical. So these kinds of observations, these kind of determinations have been made when people have made mistakes. So for instance, there was a time a number of years ago when a dairy manufacturer miscalculated the amount of vitamin D in milk and put something like a million units in an eight-ounce serving, and a bunch of kids became very toxic. Their blood calcium levels went really high, and they had kidney problems. But that's an extreme instance. But it's likely that you should not exceed 100 nanograms per milliliter to be extra safe. And by the way, in the level I quoted that we achieve, 60 to 70 nanograms per milliliter, in thousands of instances in which we've replaced vitamin D to that level, I have never, not a single time, ever witnessed an episode of toxicity. Now, think about this also. 
if you were 20 years old, that is young and still maintain the ability to activate vitamin D in the skin with sun exposure, and you were a lifeguard, let's say in a tropical climate like Honolulu or Miami, out in the sun for much of the day, lots of surface area exposed to an intense sun, what would your 25-hydroxy vitamin D blood level be? Probably something like 88 or 92 nanograms per milliliter. That suggests to us that it is a physiologically and naturally achievable level. And of course, people who show those levels have never been demonstrated to show any evidence of toxicity. So I believe that a level I advocate of 60 to 70 nanograms per milliliter because it maximally relieves you of excess cancer risk from presumptively from vitamin D, maximally suppresses parathyroid hormone and has never been associated with toxicity and is naturally achievable. I think it just makes sense. Now here's something else to know about vitamin D. The form you take matters. As I mentioned earlier, we only take D3 because vitamin D is a kind of hormone and humans should only take human hormones. Remember when women were prescribed Premarin? That is estrogens sourced from the urine of pregnant horses, mares. Well, that's a very different thing than human estrogen. And there've been many, many problems with Premarin, even though it was the most widely prescribed drug for females for many years. But since then, a lot of problems have emerged with the use of Premarin. That is non-human hormone. Same thing here. Humans with vitamin D should take the human form. That is only D3, not D2. D2 is the non-human form. Yet I see doctors prescribing D2 when this evidence is quite clear. D3 is superior to D2. There's a little bit of evidence even suggesting that D2 might be, might have some adverse effects. And D3 is widely available. It's accessible. It's inexpensive. There is no reason not a single reason to take the non-human form over the human form. Let's talk about absorption of vitamin D. You're going to find that if you take an oil-based gel cap, these are widely available, even from the big box stores, they are reliably absorbed. Say, for instance, your starting blood level of vitamin D is 15 nanograms per milliliter, which is very low, right? We're aiming for 60 to 70. You take 10,000 units of an oil-based gel cap and a level of 72 would be very common. But let's say you took not an oil-based gel cap, but a tablet, dried tablet form, or a capsule containing powder. And you start, once again, with a starting 25-hydroxy vitamin D blood level of 15 nanograms per milliliter. You come back several months later and the level is 17 nanograms per milliliter. I saw this happen hundreds and hundreds of times. The absorption of dry powder or tablet forms of vitamin D are not reliably absorbed. Now, some people say, well, if you take it with a meal containing fat or oils, you can enhance absorption. But even that makes for a very erratic and unreliable rise in 25-hydroxy vitamin D. And there's no advantage in taking tablet or dry capsule form. With the wide availability and inexpensive nature of the oil-based gel caps, take the oil-based gel caps. Now there's also droplet forms, droppers. The problem with that is the 
Dosing tends to be very erratic, and there tends to be a lot of bouncing around in vitamin D blood levels when you track them. In other words, let's say you started at 15 nanograms per milliliter, and you decide to go on, let's say, 8,000 units of vitamin D as drops from a dropper. One time it's 42, another time it's 78, another time it's 30. It's all over the place. So if you use a dropper form of vitamin D, just try as hard as you can to make sure the drop sizes are consistent. So at least you get some consistency in your, in your blood levels. You know, I hear some of my colleagues telling their patients things like, well, just get some sun. That's all you need to do. Is that true? As I mentioned before, no, it is not. It can be true if you're young, live in a tropical or subtropical climate like Florida or California or Hawaii, but most of us cannot get a sufficient exposure to sun to activate vitamin D to achieve an optimal level. And so many people or most people have to supplement year-round, even during summertime. Another issue with vitamin D is the need in dosing to achieve that target level I mentioned, 60 to 70 nanograms per milliliter, can vary a lot from one individual to another. It can vary a lot, for instance, to people who are overweight. People who are overweight require much higher doses because oddly, fat cells sequester. They grab the vitamin D and store it. Conversely, when an overweight person loses weight, it may be necessary to actually cut the dose because they release that vitamin D, and there may be a period of several months where they need less vitamin D because they're mobilizing it from their fat stores. Another factor that enters in your need for vitamin D can be skin color. People with darker skin colors often need more to achieve that target 60 to 70 nanograms per milliliter. Another factor that enters into this, and you won't see this validated, I saw this in experience, I did not publish these data, so you won't see this, this won't be confirmed by any of my colleagues, but I saw it happen so many times, I'm convinced this is true, and that is people who have aortic valve disease, that is a three-leaflet, a tri-leaflet aortic valve that's calcified, or we say is stenotic. So when that happens, when you accumulate calcium on your aortic valve, which typically happens in your mid-60s or so, and then it gets worse and worse over the years. It's tracked by an echocardiogram, and you eventually need a new valve, a surgery or other similar procedure to replace the valve, which is a major undertaking. But I saw this happen. While people ordinarily would have their valve area, we calculate a valve area, the normal area is 3.0 square centimeters, and when it's, the aortic valve becomes calcified, that area is reduced. And maybe somebody hears a murmur, they do an echocardiogram, and your aortic valve area, let's say, is 2.3 centimeters. A year later, 2.1. Another year later, 1.9. Another year later, 1.8, 1.6. So over a number of years, the valve closes off. When it gets to about 1.0 square centimeters, a third or less of its normal area, that's when people start to have chest pain, breathlessness, and lightheadedness when they exert themselves. And that's when you have to get a new valve, because if you don't, you can die within just a couple, three, four years. Well, I saw this happen repeatedly. People who came in with aortic valve disease and were tracking the aortic valve area with echocardiograms, 1.8. We restore vitamin D to a level of 60 to 70 nanograms per milliliter. A year later, 1.8. A year later, 1.8. I saw this go on for five, six years. At first, I didn't believe it. I even had a handful, this is a minority though, of people who actually partially reversed the their aortic valve stenosis. Uh, one time I had a dentist, a natural dentist, who came in to see me after his heart attack 
at, in a rural area, they put a stent in one of one of his arteries, and he came to me because he knew I engaged in more natural methods. Well, I listened to his heart, and he had a very obvious murmur. I said, hey, doc, did you know you have aortic valve disease? And he said, no, no one told me. So he did an echocardiogram, valve area, 1.8 square centimeters, so below the normal, right? So I told him it's going to be some years, but sometime in the future, you, you'll likely need an aortic valve for placement. Six months later, on his vitamin D, which in his case was 10,000 units of an oil-based gel cap to achieve a 25-hydroxyvitamin D blood level of 60 to 70, his valve area was 2.3 square centimeters. When I first saw this, the echo technician told me this. I said, no way, show me. And he showed me, and what had happened was one of the leaflets had somehow freed itself up. This is, this is something that my colleagues will tell you is impossible. It's like saying pancreatic cancer was cured. I've only seen this happen about three times. So of about 70 people who took vitamin D who had aortic valve disease, the majority, about 60, just stopped getting worse. A handful got better and a handful did continue to progress. I don't know why. I did not publish these data. I'm just telling you it's such a benign thing to take vitamin D that I think anybody who's had aortic valve disease or other forms of valve disease in their families should think about getting vitamin D just right early in life. Now, vitamin D may take on heightened importance during the COVID-19 pandemic. Now, unfortunately, there's not good evidence to show us that this virus specifically is suppressed or avoided by replenishing vitamin D. But there's indirect evidence in other viruses. There's weak evidence, not very good evidence, that suggests that people who have vitamin D replaced to higher levels are less likely to develop respiratory illnesses from viruses. Now, one of the problems with that preliminary evidence is that they typically achieved very low levels of vitamin D, or they dosed people with mega doses once a month or infrequently. It's also clear that people who dose vitamin D mega dose like once a month, that does not work as well as daily dosing. And weekly dosing, like taking 50,000 units once per week, does not work as well as daily dosing. So the best, your best bet to get full advantage of vitamin D is to take a daily dose of vitamin D, not a weekly dose, and certainly not a monthly dose. And of course, it should be D3, the human form. But with regard to COVID-19, so we don't know with absolute confidence that restoring vitamin D somehow gives you an advantage against COVID-19. But you know what? Vitamin D is so helpful in so many other ways, and it's so benign when done properly, why not do it, right? So take advantage of the potential benefits against COVID-19, extrapolate from other evidence. Something else to be aware of with vitamin D, it takes about two and a half to three months for your vitamin D blood level to level off. So let's say, let's just say you start with a blood level of 12 nanograms per milliliter, so a very low level well below our target of 60 to 70, even the laboratory reference range is lower than the reference range. So you put yourself, let's say, on 10,000 units or 12,000 units of an oil-based gel cap of D3. We wait three months because it takes that long for the level to rise fully and then plateau, let's say, maybe at 68 nanograms per milliliter. So you can see the problem here. If you started your vitamin D and then checked the blood level 30 days later, you're going to catch the rise and you're going to say, I need more and you can overshoot. So you need to wait two and a half to three months after the initiation of vitamin D or with any dose change up or down. So to illustrate, let's pretend you started at 12, 
And that's quite severe. So you put yourself on 12,000 units of vitamin D. But maybe you're a slender woman. And three months later, your 25-hydroxy vitamin D level is 89. A little bit unnecessarily high. Cut back the dose maybe from 12,000, let's say to 8,000. Wait another two and a half to three months before you check it. That way, you'll make dose adjustments and you'll choose a dose that's more appropriate for you. Now, an easy rule of thumb to at least get started in choosing your dose. This is a little rule of thumb I learned from Dr. John Cannell, who's been talking about vitamin D for many, many years and has helped popularize just how important it is. He advocates 1,000 units of vitamin D, D3, of course, for every 25 pounds of body weight. So if you weighed 175 pounds, that would be 7,000 units, right? If you weighed 200 pounds, it'd be 8,000 units. That's a good starting point. It's not always true, depending on your body size, nationality, skin color, genetics, and some other factors. But it's a great starting place. So there you have it. If you listen to this entire podcast, you now have greater insight into how to best manage, optimally manage vitamin D for full health benefit and with a level of knowledge, sadly, that exceeds most practicing physicians. I really hope that my colleagues learn about vitamin D, learn how to get it right, learn how to optimize everyone's status for full health benefit. Sadly, that's not happened yet. So that's why I put it on you so that you're aware of what constitutes getting it right with vitamin D. Now, if you learned something from my podcast, my Defiant Health podcast, I invite you to subscribe through your favorite podcast directory, post a review, post a comment, and tell your friends. Thanks for listening.